Welcome once again to a very special EWTN bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host, coming to you from the main studio, Father Mitch's set here at EWTN. The book is Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens by our great friend, Dr. Ray Garendi. It's published by EWTN Publishing and naturally available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic and all those great holy reminders. And it's great to see you, Dr. Ray. If I'm your great friend, did I have good discipline? You have excellent discipline, and people would see when you were on with Father Mitch. In fact, what happened was you refused to leave this set. You wanted to stay here. It had to be the main is, studio. Is the camera on me? You said, you know, Doug, your set is too small. The studio is not big enough for, for the kind of book I've written this time. And so we agreed to do it here. And we still have a, a Christmas atmosphere here, yes, even we though we're, we're into January because we respect the Christmas season. But it's great to be with you. Oh, always, Doug. Always. So you're standing strong. We're sitting here. It's good discipline makes great teens. Well, are we even just talking about teens anymore? Aren't they, aren't there, there's teenagers, there's tweenagers. Has the teen years expanded in some ways? All the words, huh, Doug? Yeah. Teenager wasn't even a word maybe 50, 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't, there was a farmer probably somewhere near this spot, and his boy turned 14. He wasn't likely to say, uh, boy, I'll tell you, I got to ride out these next five, six years because he's a teenager and I'm not going to get any help from him now. And he's, he's getting snotty and he only wants to hang around with the guys. That wasn't true at all. Mm -hmm. It was a pleasure for this man to have a son growing up. Right. One of the points I make is teenager is, in my opinion, more cultural than developmental. Mm -hmm. Okay, so with saying that, in, in the beginning you talk about the beauty of the beast, and I think you say that I think that teens get a bad rap. Then you go on to say, it's up to us parents to bring out our kids' natural best and not permit the worst to rule. So we want the natural best, not the natural beast. But that's part of the discipline to make sure we end up with the better part, right? Parents are scared. They're told, well, you know, you got this sweet little eight-year-old, now just enjoy him because he wants to hold your hand in public, but he's going to be 14 one day, and you're not going to know anything, and you're going to be stupid, and he's not going to want you to even look at him when you're out in public. And I say, it doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. We don't have to surrender to the stereotype of this obnoxious human being for five years. The parents can stand strong in their discipline, and Doug, maybe even more important, they can stand strong against the culture. The culture's not on your side anymore. If you're trying to raise a one in a hundred God-seeking child, the culture's not on your side, and you better be strong mm -hmm. knowing, at least having the confidence that I'm doing the right thing no matter how it turns out. Right, but uh, you know, people feel so isolated in many ways. That's one of the reasons EWTN is out there too, or even your radio show on EWTN, that people realize that they're not alone for believing the things we believe and for standing up what's true. You talk about something called the letter phenomenon. Uh, you talk about the idea that it seems like every time you turn around there's another disorder uh, showing up, you know, ADD, et cetera, all of these different things. But you point out that it's not that some of these aren't true, it's just that maybe they're overprescribed. Heavily right? overprescribed. The most common one is uh, oppositional defiant disorder, ODD. Well, it's not a disorder, it's a summary label for a lot of bad behavior. What it sounds like, though, is a parent will say to me, we've discovered the problem. He's been diagnosed, he has ODD. No, that's not the problem. 
That's just the label of the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem here is that he defies your rules, he is resistant, he challenges your authority. Now that's the problem. He's not going to change. You have to change so that ODD doesn't fit so much anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you also find with some, I think in the world we live in today with, with two parents working or single mothers, etc., and people are so busy, and you talk about it, the idea of being overly involved in too many things, that, that the parents don't have the time and, and they feel to be able to deal with some of these things. So they deal with, as you talk about, quality time, et cetera. But the idea is, oh, he's got a diagnosis, I'm off the hook. Yes, because I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. There's something out of sync with this child. Many parents will come to me and say, my child has been diagnosed attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Dr. Ray, so therefore, should I, should I back off in the way he mistreats his sister? Should I let him get more disrespectful than mm -hmm. I, and I say, no, no, just the opposite. If he has an impulse problem, that means you're going to have to deal with that right. impulse problem. You're going to have to be more structured, more perseverant, more consistent, more vigilant, so that that impulse problem can be tapered mm -hmm. enough that he's a decent to live with human being. Right. You make a point here, I was wondering what you say, as a child grows, his socialization doesn't keep pace. What do you mean? If there's a lack of stability in the family, mm -hmm. lack of love, lack of discipline, fragmentation, or to use psychobabble, dysfunctional, mm -hmm. then as he's getting older, he's not maturing mm -hmm. at a rate that you would think would be normal. When that doesn't happen, the first question people ask is, what's wrong with this kid? Why is he like that? Instead of looking at the environment, at the parent, at the style, we say, it's got to be you. It's got to be you. That happens so much. Right. Well, here's a disorder. Is this the one that you think is actually the most prevalent? This is the one I was diagnosed with as a youth was the behaviorally regressive <laughs> attitudinal trauma, <laughs> uh, one which I, I think goes on into uh, apparently senior citizen-like because I'm, I still I have that. Uh, when, you're familiar with that one, when right? When we adopted our four-year-old son, he had enough letters after his name he could have spelled another name. And I told my wife, I said, I think I can diagnose him. It's mm -hmm. behaviorally regressive attitudinal trauma. And people look at you like, what is that? I go, B-R-A-T. And I said, the adolescent counterpart to that yeah. is significantly nasty oppositional tendencies. Okay. <laughs> in, on, in this section on hyperactivation, what I like with the, the format of the book, besides your very interesting titles that you give to each one of these, is the fact that it starts off basically with a letter or, or uh, that you've got, Parent or at least a question, yeah. that you uh, use that as the context to, to, to then follow up. You say, it's obvious families have become more hyperactive in just the last few decades. We were talking about the activities acceleration is the pursuit of the good at the cost of the best. Yeah. How so? Well, people wouldn't argue that playing sports is a good thing. Learning violin is, in a, good, is a good thing. Ballet is a good thing. Those are good things. The problem is, as they accumulate, mm -hmm. You got dad taking him to soccer practice because mom's over here at the ballet and pretty soon we're just taxis crossing in right. the night. Except in your case, I think your wife takes care of all of oh, that. Well, well, you stay at home and lounge and write books, right? Yeah, she asked me one time to go pick up one of the girls. I said, I don't have time for that. I'm writing a parenting book. That's right. I, I need to work on some new ideas <laughs> right. for being an enlightened parent. Uh, you also talk about, I thought this was interesting, you talk about testing to see whether your family's over-involved, you say. One of them is, do your kids routinely complain about being bored? Oh, 
Ironically, the more we jam each minute, the faster we become bored. Interesting. I talked to a priest from Tanzania, and I said to him, well, one of the complaints of a lot of our kids is that they're bored. And he looked at me and said, what, what is that word? I said, Father, you, you don't know what bored means? Interesting. He okay. said, well, what, what does it mean? I said, well, it, it, it means you don't have anything to do. And he went, how could you not have anything to do? He didn't understand the concept. Right. Because there's always something to do. Something to do. Uh, you, you talk about parents and kids need more time to be bored together. One parent noted that. Why did you include that? It's when boring occurs is when the good stuff occurs. Tickle fight. Uh, okay, mom, can I ask you a question? This guy at school. When there's that open time that isn't just kind of grabbed by distractions, uh, there's things that just spontaneously erupt. I've had a lot of adult kids tell me that. They'll say, you know what my dad used to do? He would go into the family room while we were in there, and he would just sit and read. And he was just there. He wasn't playing a game with us on mm -hmm. the floor necessarily. He was just there. And I would say, hey, Dad, can I ask you something? It was just that presence. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. With respect to feelings, and, and you have a chapter in feelings, when feelings are, I think, what we all talk about. In fact, we live in a world driven by <laughs> that's feelings. Our coin, that's our coin um, of the realm. You say, as children move deeper into adolescence, they become more deeply opinionated, particularly about what makes for acceptable parenting. And you go on to say, kids have a much more tolerant definition of disrespect than we do. Oh, yeah, they're not throwing bricks. So in other words, if I just roll my eyes at you, oh, yeah, Dad right, you're lame. Many parents allow that mm -hmm. because the experts have told them, let children express themselves. And a lot of experts, in defense of the experts, will say, well, you don't tolerate overt disrespect. You pick your battles. But a rolling of the eyes or a huffy sigh, that, that small arms fire, that's incredibly disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Doug, you say something to me and I react. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, that's disgusting. That's disdainful. My wife one time was giving my daughter two hours worth of labor. I came home and I said, how'd Siri get two hours worth of labor? That's one of the consequences we use because we had a lot of teenagers, so give labor. I said, what did she do? She rolled her eyes at me. I went, honey, two hours for rolling her eyes? Doug. It's not because rolling eyes is so awful. It's because mom is so valuable. I see. You don't do that to your mom. Right. And, and so many, many parents accept an enormous amount of disrespect. You know, they go to confession. Bless me, Father. I used to be such a nice person. And now I have children and I'm not nice at all. And I, I just want to know, is it like a serious sin to like want to shoot him with a bazooka? Would, you know, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but I think. And that's what happens. They allow this mistreatment mm -hmm from the child and then they get right. naturally frustrated. Well, do you think it's some the uh, kind of a, a, analogous to the broken windows approach yes. to policing, which is if you take care of the small yes. stuff, the big stuff will t almost take care Great of itself. Great parallel, right. absolutely. You know, kind of a thing, right. And I tell parents, if you have a high standard, you're gonna be out of sync with the culture. If you're a parent who says, we allow no disrespect in our home to, to anyone, mom to kid, kid to mom, kid to kid, you're going to be unusual. You, you have to understand that. You're going to be unusual. You're not going to be the norm. 
you have the standard. Now, it's not going to be reached. You're going to have to deal with these times it's not reached. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. You're not going to have resentful kids because you didn't let me get disrespectful once every two days, something like that. Mm -hmm. But here's, here's the other problem you run into, Doug. And I, I was in a meeting one time, and this is so common among the experts. This mental health type said, we all know that when you put your standards too high, kids are going to rebel. And I just sat there, and I wanted the inner child in me, Doug, <laughs> wanted to say, no, we all don't know that. Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything. And it occurred to me, so isn't this interesting? We're saying that if you have high standards and you try to teach them in love, that's the very thing that is going to destroy your high standards. Mm -hmm. What an irony. You say in this section on more authority, I think, is, is that an equal sign? Equals less discipline? Yes, more authority uh, equals less discipline. And you go on to say, a child's response to discipline is influenced more by his perception of his parent than by his temperament. Remember the look? Mm -hmm. So if a parent looks at a child, the perception is, mom is getting ready to do something. So she really doesn't have to do something because she gave me the look. look right. The perception of authority in mom is what stopped it. When we got our first son, not our, our first older son, he was four years old when we adopted him, Doug, he had never been made to go to bed. I mean, mm -hmm. he roamed the house, he cut stuff up, he did damage. So the first night, my wife says to me, Raymond, why don't you put Does she call you Raymond? Well, when she's mad at me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> why don't you, I, I tell her, I say, Dr. Raymond, do you please? <laughs> okay, right. Why don't you put the children to bed tonight? And he said, honey, I don't have time for that. I'm working on my parenting book. Damn. So Johnny just immediately resisted bed. So I held him in bed. I couldn't let him roam the house. At that time, we had six, five, four, four, three, one. He mm. was dangerous. And he perceived that this guy who loved him, who was his daddy, was not going to let him get up. Mm -hmm. It was not going to happen. There was just not going to happen. Now, that wasn't any kind of fancy discipline. That was just, here's the perception, son. You're not getting up. I'm going to hold you here until I decide you're going to stay. And that perception, believe it or not, Doug, after two and a half years of resisting bed, we didn't have bedtime after that. Right. Do you think that's also the reason why it, it's the father is so important in many families and things and we because there is that perception of the strength of discipline that a father can bring into a family that in a, a fatherless family you don't have that you remember that uh, little I guess episode they did on 60 minutes where they took the bull elephants out of the herd I guess they were going to use them to breed and they figured the herds are matriarchal moms can run the herd the adolescent bulls started wreaking havoc. Really? Okay. Yes. What they did then is they, they would knock over the rhinos and the gamers just, just, to, just to be rowdy. Mm -hmm. They reintroduced the bulls back into the herd. Not to do discipline, just presence. It stopped. It stopped. Interesting. Yes. You know, we're in the middle of a doofus dad culture. Right, absolutely. Dads are all doofuses. Yeah, dads are yeah. useless. Dads if are If they're there at all, they're If doofuses. they're there at all, that's <laughs> right, exactly right. right. And the research is overwhelming. Right. The presence of a strong, loving, confident male in a home is massively helpful to the kind of human being you want to raise. Especially in, in one going on and continuing to be faith-filled or religious. Well, you're familiar with that survey? This right, was right. done a while back. What they found was that if mom only took the kids to church, now this is an old survey. I don't think these numbers are this high now. 50% of the chance the kids will be in church as adults. Mm -hmm. 
if both was about 70, 80 percent. If that alone, mm -hmm. still 70 to 80 percent. So there, there's something about right. the guy's influence. You know, one of my biggest regrets, I know this isn't according to the book, one of my biggest regrets, when I was raising the kids, I would say my prayers in bed under the covers. So my kids didn't know I was praying. Mm -hmm. I should have knelt by that bed so they could see their old man right. praying. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that is something that we, they observe a lot more than we realize they observe. Uh, they have to. Children. They have to have strategies right. to counter us. Right, that's right. They're always, always <laughs> scheming. Uh, under the authority test, I suggest parents uh, a technique called blackout. What is blackout? Number one thing I heard as a therapist, parents would come in and say, well, you know, I, I've tried to get him to go to the corner. I've tried to get him to write an essay of apology. I've tried to get her smartphone, but they refuse. They refuse mm -hmm. the discipline or they come out of the corner or they melt down or they argue or they won't do something without a two and a half hour argument. Here's what you do. You make your request once. Please go to the corner. Please go to the five words. Normal volume, 70, mm -hmm. 70 decibels. If they don't go, you immediately shut down all privileges. Mm -hmm. Every single thing is shut down. No outside, no friends, no, no favorite shirt, no stuffed animals, no toys, no dessert, nothing. No, no technical stuff. Shut down totally until you serve your time. Mm -hmm. Most younger kids within two or three episodes of blackout will simply turn and go to the corner. Mm -hmm. The older kids can push a little harder, but even they, and say you give a 400-word essay for disrespect, and they refuse. I'm writing that. That's ridiculous. I'm not writing that. Well, that's ridiculous. Just got you 200 more words. Shut them down. Phone's gone. Electrical outlet gone. Curling iron gone. Travel gone. Every, everything gone. Mm -hmm. Everything. Right. Now, this is the one discipline I was interested in finding out how I could sign up for the Red Corvette discipline. <laughs> what is that and how does one get in line? For, I can't wait till he's forget. old enough to drive because then I'll have something to take from him. Okay. And I said, well, if you're waiting for that day, why don't you just buy him a Red Corvette now so you can take the Red Corvette from him? I always tell parents, if you're always looking into the future for some kind of meaty consequence that you can use, what are you saying about now? Mm -hmm. You're saying right now I don't have the authority that he will accept my expectations and my discipline. Mm -hmm. In the section Disciplining for Success, you, t you say putting discipline in a realistic time frame will lessen your exasperation. What do you mean a realistic time frame? You go to confession, Doug? Uh, when I have to, okay. yes. Which is a regular basis. Well, do you say, bless me, Father, for... My wife has sinned. Let me tell yeah, you what the problems got, are. She's got the list. She wanted me to tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you some of the you problems. You say the there. same sins, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Now, I'm going to assume that you're older than a teenager. I'm going to assume you've been around longer than teens. I'm not as old as you. But no, no, there's not too many people. That, that's this, true. This, that's this, true. This whole studio. Uh, <laughs> so given you look that, better than me, but. Well, it's the, it's the makeup. They no, put a lot right. more. They put it on with a paint roller with me. So, so given that, you, you misbehave a lot. You still misbehave. Have you been talking to my wife? She's contacted me a number of no, times, I and I said, I recognize your voice. <laughs> Kids are going to misbehave a lot. So parents will say, well, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Well, but, but wait. First of all, how long have you tried it? Second of all, um, 
when you say it doesn't work, what you're saying is it's not changing the behavior as quickly as I would like it to. Mm -hmm. You've taught the lesson. If you mistreat your sister, you're going to do her chores today. Now, you've taught a lesson. Will that change his treatment of his sister? Well, that may take a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you, because you say real discipline is being replaced by words and emotion, nagging, negotiating, pleading, threatening, yelling, chastising, lecturing, are all illusions of discipline. Why isn't that discipline? parent will come to me and say, I'm on him all the time. I am on him all the time. Really? So what do you do? Well, I tell him he shouldn't do that. I warn him. He knows. This. This thing has a tendency to just get loud and nasty. Mm -hmm. I always tell parents, you talk two to 400 it's words. called giving your parents lip. Is that well, what yeah, but it's just, there? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If you talk two to 400 words a minute, with Gus up to 800, but you're throwing ping pong balls at the hull of an aircraft carrier. People, when, when a parent says, he doesn't listen, mm -hmm. what they're saying is, I'm just talking, and I'm hoping that my talking is going to get him to cooperate. Well, no, a lot of times you have to do something. If you mistreat your sister, here's what I'm going to do about that. Not mm -hmm. what, I'm not going to say, leave her alone. She's not bothering you. You know, someday you're going to appreciate having a sister. When she gets old enough to have girlfriends, she's going to tell her girlfriends, don't date my brother because he's such a jerk. That's, that's not discipline. Mm -hmm. I tell them it sounds like it. It smells like it. Because there's no consequence. There's no consequence. Nothing happens. Uh, okay. Uh, respect yourself and me. You say sometimes uh, something about these adolescents years seems to breed a surge in surliness. <laughs> it goes back to what we said at the beginning of our interview. Mm -hmm. Adolescence is a time, not like it used to be, but now it is, I'm 15 and I see all the culture has to offer. Mm -hmm. All the opportunities, all the goodies, all the technology, and who's standing in the way? Mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So I naturally get, what could I? There's that, if, if that farm kid from 100 years ago in Peoria, Illinois, didn't know all the stuff that he could possibly have and do, that the parents aren't letting him, he's not going to be that surly. Mm -hmm. But when you see all this stuff in a conveyor belt going by you like this, it's like, I want that. Why can't I have Especially that? Especially in the world of, uh, with cell phones and internet and mm -hmm. everything else. And, and mom and dad are trying to put some right. limit on it. Right. They get surly. They, they get, uh, and, and the experts will oftentimes say, well, that's hormonal. Right. Eh, yeah, I would imagine for some kids more than others. But I think it's more cultural. Mm-hmm. You also talk about the battered parent syndrome. Describe that. Parent will be sitting in my office. And I'll say, so she does that when? And parent will say, and the kid will say, that's not when I do it. Mom will say, well, usually on a Tuesday night. It's not a Tuesday night. We don't do it on a Tuesday night. I'm not even home on a Tuesday night. So this goes on for about five or 10 minutes after the parent is getting pounded by this kid interjecting. Mm -hmm. And I say, you hear how she's talking to you? And the parent will look at me like, huh? They don't hear it anymore. They're so used to it. They're so used to right. it. Yes, that happens all the time. Parents will say that. They'll say, I didn't even realize the demeaning tone of voice. Yeah, I just, I've just gotten used to it. Bad here's, parents. Here's another one I thought was interesting. Kids don't make good parents. Letting siblings resolve their conflicts <laughs> while parents stand down is standard expert advice. Like most psychologically correct child-rearing notions, this one sounds good 
on paper. So many of these dudes, but you say they end up in the shredder most of the time. Well, yeah, right? let's, real kids shred them. Let, let's let my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old work out their conflicts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, the 10-year-old is probably going to win. The 10-year-old is bigger and stronger and smarter and faster. Unless it's a boy and the 8-year-old is a girl, then she's going to win. Given all that, what happens is they don't have the skills necessarily mm -hmm. to work out their conflicts. If the parent puts guidelines around, okay, you're not allowed to call each other names, you're not allowed to push each other down, you're not allowed to scream at each other, okay, work it out. That might be one thing, but the experts kind of tell parents, stay out of it, stay out of it. Let them develop conflict resolution mm -hmm. skills. One of them's gonna kill the other. Mm -hmm. That's just not realistic. Right. One question I had to you, you talk about a kid's room is, is no place for a home. Uh, do you keep a lawn tractor in one of your children's <laughs> it's rooms? Like, is that I true? don't go in there because I, you know how they used to tie the rope around the uh, high priest in case he had something in there they could pull him out? Right. I tie rope around me. I did that in Poltergeist too. I think <laughs> yes, I had a scene that was similar to right. that, right? So, so in fact, you know, parents will say, the, the number one thing experts tell parents, it's his room. Close the door. Mm -hmm. It's his space. And I say, well, wait, what if you as a parent, one, don't want that room below city health code? It's a, it's a swamp. Right. It's a landfill. Right. And two, what if you want to teach him to take care of his possessions? So you have every right to do something about the room. And I offer a whole bunch of suggestions on what to do about that room because you're, you're allowed. There's right. so much of parenting is, am I allowed? That never used to be a question parents asked. Right, absolutely. Just before we go, give me liberty or give me new parents. Was that Patrick Henry as a kid or something? Is, <laughs> is that where you grabbed that one from? It's the old, how can all those parents be wrong and you be right? I'm 14, I don't have a smartphone. I'm 16 and I'm not driving yet. And I always tell parents, age entitlement. Mm -hmm. I'm 13, I should have a smartphone. I'm 16, I should drive. I'm 18, I should get to do what I want. Numbers mean nothing. Trustworthiness mm -hmm. is how you make your decision. Is trustworthy, is maturity the same thing, or? No. Okay. Because an eight-year-old can be more trustworthy than a 15-year-old. Okay. Even though they might be less mature yes. in that way. Okay. Speaking of that, we've got Dr. Ray Garendi, of course. Standing strong, good discipline, makes great teams. Always great to Always be with best. you. Thank you, Doug. Dr. Ray, just to, before we go, you got another book in the works? I do. Um, I do actually have one, but I'm working on another one. Okay which is called um, The Three Most Humble People I Know and How I Taught the Other Two. Okay, very good. Um, I think I'm in that book. <laughs> anyway, the title of the book is Standing Strong, uh, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens, and, and good talk show host, too. Uh, EWTN Publishing, available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. We'll see you next time on Bookmark. Thanks.